Hi, we are Four Friends Podcast. We're an unscripted podcast where we begin to have the conversations that we've always wanted to have with each other, but now with all of you listening in. Thank you for joining us. Hi, welcome to this week's episode about mothering. Now, many people may root the word mothering to the maternal aspect of it, the gestating, the delivery, the lactating body, the physical maternal body. But other people will root it in a more metaphorical interpretation of what a mother is, whether they are a person that is adopting or choosing to do the work of the metaphorical work of a mother. That throws up a lot of questions as to who can mother and what is mothering. Um, can men mother, for example, or are we doing ourselves a disfavor by linking the act of mothering solely to women and making it um, to do with the feminine aspect of a gender? And does that um, inhibit people or free people? And by doing it, does it inhibit other people? And there's obviously a divide between women who choose to physically become a lactating, delivering just stating mother and those who choose not to or cannot. Um, so it throws open a huge array of issues and we're going to try and tackle or unpick some of that today. But we know it's a huge topic, so it's going to take a long time and much longer than we have today. So we're just going to scratch the surface and hopefully start inspiring some conversations amongst you with your friends. So to start off, I'm just going to throw out there, when you girls think of the word mothering what's the first word that pops into your head i think of the word grief i think of the word um warmth parent is what i think love Mm. i think is what comes into my head and and also everything that you all have said mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. in different at different levels i think also bringing life yeah mm. and sustaining life mm. for me it's actually not so much about actually now that we're just i thought it would be but mm. it's not so much necessarily about life actually or mm. the act just lucy just thinking to what you just introduced us with which was kind of this idea of um what is it what is it to mother and actually, now that I'm thinking of words and feelings, I have a sense of the feeling not being necessarily bound to physically physically giving life, I guess. Mm. I don't know what others think. Yeah, I think I also mean that kind of metaphorically as well. Um, I was going to say, I don't necessarily attribute it to kind of giving life, but I do think of the sustenance of life. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of what I was been like, sustaining life insofar as not necessarily because you've birthed it, um, but because there's a life around you that you want to nurture, be that be that a plant or, or be it a cat or be it another human being who you're not at all blood related to. but mm. Or even yourself, yeah. right? The kind of mothering yeah. of self, yeah. like just learning how to sustain ourselves. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I like that word nurture, actually, Lou. That's mm. a great word for it because it's like this nourishing, nurturing uh, practice, isn't it? Mm. Because I think about it as a creative act as well. Like as a, you know, as an artist, you can like bring something into the world and you'd call it your baby, like a piece of art. And it would have never existed without you, but you've brought it into the world and it now exists because 
you created it and then you've made it into something. So I also kind of see it in that kind of artistic sense or even in like planting a seed and bringing it to life. So I guess that's also what I mean is there, there are other multi there are other ways I guess I see around the idea of like bringing life as well as I totally agree I think there's a lot around sustaining life that's there already yeah I think it also changes as you get through life phases I think maybe when I was younger I thought this idea of mothering was like something very specific related to becoming a parent maybe Mm. But actually that that concept has really evolved, as Mariam says, even this idea of like how we mother ourselves and mm. um, and actually it not necessarily being tied to a stage of life, but actually growing with you um, as yeah. you move through life. You know, you have different figures in your life that mother you, but you also end up being um, could potentially be in a, a role of mothering others, be that, as you say, like it could be yeah. a, a pet or it could be mm. um, a, a child as well, you know. I really think um as you say pre the kind of the changing I guess the changing definitions I think that's something that's really kind of speaks to me and that like I think I was kind of forced to kind of reimagine or kind of rethink my relationship to the idea of mothering after I got my endometriosis diagnosis because I think I'd initially kind of the idea of mothering could kind of always been associated with the the eventual kind of giving birth to a child as well Mm. um and I think once I got that diagnosis I really had to kind of rethink and reimagine what mothering meant to me and would look like for me in a world in which I wouldn't be a wouldn't wouldn't conceive a child Mm. so really kind of had to kind of pull on and I would definitely say like kind of really pulling on the work of kind of um Radical feminist kind of really helped me reimagine a future for myself, kind of outside of the kind of uh, heteronormative imaginations of my childhood. Mm-hmm. I think that's so on point, and I think that mm-hmm. I mean everything we're kind of sold right is this idea of the deficit of not having children as women, mm-hmm. which I think is quite an interesting way of kind of. The he- as you say, the heteronormative narrative paints this picture that to have and to bring life and to be full is to kind of, is to become, and especially the word mother, I think, which is quite different to parent. Mm-hmm. Um, it has these connotations of like, then you've, ar- like in my mind, at least when I was thinking about it, it kind of feels like then you've arrived at this kind of <laughs> heteronormative state of full womanhood, which is to have uh, have this role as a mother. Mm. Um, and I think there's something quite interesting, as you say, Mariam, about how we reimagine that and actually try to like make a different imagination, a different construction of what mothering actually means, which I think mm. is incredibly like a brave act as well. Mm. Yeah, I think brave is funny. Like I, I would never take brave on because I'm like done in the in the absence of choice, you know? And I think mm. kind of, you know, I don't want to ever to kind of uh, retrospectively attribute kind of mm. my youth to a radical kind of my my decision to kind of a radical feminist um, overt decision. You know, actually, mm. it was something about you being able to have those lenses now as an adult, so I can actually kind of accept kind of the reality a reality of kind of mothering that would look very different from the one that I did actually want you know Mm. um no it just sounds like a huge process of kind of Mm. change and 
understanding yourself and replacing yourself in the world it's like a huge process isn't it to go through it is a huge process for sure but I think that like we all I imagine we've all individually gone through these different processes to kind of reimagine ourselves in in relation to this um term model like mine mine I think was a forced journey but I think you know you must have all individually kind of gone through this kind of process of reimagining. And I guess it'd be interesting to hear like if there are things that have kind of forced you to or just kind of naturally asked you to reimagine your relationship to the word mother. Yeah, for me, I I wanted to become a mother and then was lucky enough to be able to do that, not without some grief along the way. But I think it was definitely different becoming a mother to how I imagined becoming a mother mm-hmm. and how I situated my identity in that or alongside being a mother. That's been a big journey for me personally because it didn't. I didn't think I was going to be the kind of mother that I thought I was going to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then it, it took a while, a long while to reconcile what kind of, what kind of mother or rather more like, how does Lucy parent these mm. two people? Not in the kind of like, am I doing free range children or all that kind of parenting stuff that you could read for millions of books about more like, who am I? And how do I relate to these people? Mm. Like that relationship and maintaining who I am, I think has been really difficult and and tricky because I am I am heterosexual and I am married. And so I think... There's a lot of judgment that is that uh, I don't know if it is thrown at me or I fear is thrown at me because I am those two things. It's as if like, well, of course, she's just done this unthinkingly become like a really uh, heteronormative married person. Wow. No kind of free independent thinking going on there. Mm. And I feel like, fuck you. You've no idea. You're just assuming just because I'm heterosexual and just because I've married someone that I haven't done any kind of independent thinking for myself as a feminist and you're just looking at my sexual preferences and my marital status and making a whole bunch of assumptions based on that. Mm. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, that we don't see necessarily um, the marriage or the active choice to have children as an act of activism. We just kind of see it as a a kind of unthinking... um, And I guess sometimes, like you know do we strip women of kind of their activism yeah their agency and their activism we Mm -hmm. just assume like so for example would we uh, from the outside would we assume lucy is less kind of active and less feminist because she's married um with two children comparatively to me who's kind of single and not going to have children you know like do i get the assumption of kind of active feminist and you get the assumption of kind of unthinking unthinking woman you know but i think in both cases like norms play so hard into them right because there's a whole set of norms that surround the single woman as well like you know what kind of you know what's kind of again coming back to this deficit model which i think really is alive and kicking and i think the one thing i would say about which i totally agree with um what you're saying lou in terms of like you have obviously done major thinking on every single topic and that that we shouldn't be stripping women away from their agency but I think also unfortunately where we live in a society where the norm is heteronormativity where people are generally married and that is kind of where 
there is more safety in that you know you're not necessarily going to not you as one but one in mm-hmm. terms of being part of the norm there is some safety that comes from um that comes Pitching from in. not sticking out right and mm-hmm. that yeah. that isn't to say that we should be judging people who perhaps have what seems like a more normative life because we also can't assume that people have that just because they've made those choices but at the same time I think there is also some privilege in having those in having those norms because mm. you know that in a sense yeah. that is Fits a sense of society of, easily yeah. doesn't it yeah 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 Rach have you had to kind of reimagine your relationship with the kind of idea yeah. of mother yeah I think definitely I think I feel like, yeah, for me, I, you know, feel like becoming, having children was never like a question of if, it was just like when, you know, like right from being a child, you know, like when am I going to have kids, you know, like there was like that, I had that very much like that assumption, like that's what's going to happen. And, um, but when it did happen, I mean, I don't associate with the word mother. Like I don't, I am, I don't, when people call me a mother or say or you know it it just the word just doesn't sit with me like I don't even I don't even really like when people say you know oh you're a mum I'm like oh I'm not a a mum I'm like my kids call me mum but like I'm not a do you know what I mean like that kind of word I've I've (laughs) actually (laughs) like to society I'm now a mum I'm not a mum I'm you know the mum of my kids and uh and like they can call me that, but like the world doesn't get to call me mother. The world doesn't get to call me mum. Actually, in the world, mm. I much prefer the word parent. And it's not because I'm trying to be like politically correct. It genuinely sits right with me because it feels like a much more inclusive word to kind of mm. all the different ways that we want to choose to bring up children. And there are so many mm. different ways to do that. And I think kind of realizing for me that I wasn't going to fit into it it wasn't it didn't come as easily as I thought it would it wasn't as natural and as easy as I thought it would be and I did struggle with postnatal depression all of that because it shifted my whole identity and who I was and Mm. um and so I definitely grappled hugely with it and I feel much more comfortable in it now but I think it was a big process because I think I had a lot of assumptions before going into it and maybe that's the interesting thing as well is that you don't I imagine you don't know how you're going to feel when you become a parent or when, when I like this idea, Mariam, of you saying also how we, um, how our, our relationship to it changes as well throughout, throughout as we get older, you know, we had certain ideas of what it was going to be like when we were younger. Yeah, it's really interesting, Pri. I think when I think about the kind of reimagining at different points, I kind of, I kind of have to admit and acknowledge like, to myself how deeply entrenched patriarchy was patriarchy was in like so deep down into into my uterus so like mm-hmm. when i kind of learned about my diagnosis and when i learned what that meant for my kind of fertility my initial kind of reaction was one of i'm like i'm broken like i'm not functioning as a woman like i can't do the one task that a woman is asked to do and therefore I'm not a real woman and I had to really kind of dig deep I would say and really kind of think hard around not only kind of my relationship to mother but also my relationship to the kind of intersection between my womanhood and mother as well and kind of what that would look and feel like and sound like to me and kind of a lot of kind of unpicking of um, 
patriarchal ideas because I think you know as you've said before about the kind of no- the normative stance that actually like lots of our ideas of kind of motherhood with are within the frame of within the frame of a kind of capitalist patriarchy right um and they're in the frame of like the a woman produces children and you know is useful to society because we produce more workers mm. for want of a better word you yeah. know and I like think, a worker bee. I think mm, that's also yeah. what I was trying to say about the normative bit, which is like how much agency is separated from internalization of norms. Because I know for myself, like I, I still feel split on any given day how I feel about my relationship to to whether I might potentially have children or not. Because so much of me is wondering, like, how much is that driven by what I actually want, and how much is that driven by how I've been trained in life as a woman who's also very aware of all these things so I'm also critically thinking but there is always this split in me of like how much as you say Mariam is this patriarchal uh system just inside of me like more than I even want to admit and I think there's so much shame around admitting as well our internalized our internalized patriarchy because we want to be bigger and better than the system and I think that's my only question with like the question mark of how much agency I think a lot of us well, all of us, right, have norms that are also somewhere buried inside of us telling us stories, you know? Yeah, but I think I think with the with, with that question, it's like, oh, she's given up on that fight. Oh, she's got married. Oh, she's had kids. Hmm. So clearly she hasn't been able to beat the internalized patriarchy. Oh, mm. I see. What you okay. Mean, you know, so it's like, so it's oh, like you just followed through. With... Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, I'm a lost soldier and I'm a fallen and I'm. Yeah. I'm That's so interesting. It's so interesting how we all see each other's different experiences as well. Because I would never, for example, I would never think that like about when I think about your choices, for example, or how you present. That's just not at all what I would ever, where my brain would ever go, you know. But it's it's also interesting. I think the the feelings that we carry towards our choices, even mm. when they're made um, about our choices. Do you know what I mean? Like because I often think, especially in our age group, like I'm one of the few that doesn't have kids. And so I can feel the opposite of like, oh, I don't quite always fit into what's being talked about. And I can't quite relate to all the kind of trials and tribulations of parenting because I don't have that lived experience. Um, So I think it's just interesting to like see it from another perspective as well. Yeah. But it's, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this recently as I knew this was coming up about looking back at my choices, because for me, I have three kids. I have absolutely no intention of having any more. I'm still breastfeeding, but that is about to end. So I feel like I'm on the very tail end of of this experience, of this particular experience of mothering. So the biological giving birth, as we said, one particular type of experience and kind of looking back on my decisions I can't help but also feel disappointed with myself, which feels really weird to kind of also admit. But there is a part of me that when I look at my kids, I think, oh, I just wish I could be a better example for you. I wish like, you know, my two daughters, I look at them and like kind of wish, I wish I could be like the more radical example for you of like having more adventures and going, but I, but obviously it's like not possible. I can't have, I like, can't have them and also be a different, completely different example to them. But I look back Rach, and I'm like, why that... did I, why didn't I question it more? Or did I question it? I think I did question it, but did I question it enough? Did I, mm. the idea, like when I say the idea was like, when I'm going to have kids, not if, where did that come from? Mm. Was that really me mm. or was that the patriarchy? Like, but, but don't you also think there's it? something quite interesting about how undervalued 
care of children is as well. Like I think that that what you when you said that the first thing I thought was it is radical in a way that you it's just not radically recognized in our society. Like and how much women in particularly um, do like unpaid care and like that is mm-hmm. that's the issue really. And I think sometimes we're boxed into these really binary roles of whether we are the working mom or the stay at home parent or and it's actually like. Yes, there are. I definitely agree with you. Like this question of when, if not if, is interesting. And I really want to go back to that. But I also think you are working like you what you're doing is literally the hardest labor. And I think I think that just needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's fucking hard. I'm like not, you know, like that's definitely one of the things that hit me about doing that work was just how hard it would be. But I think it, it's just interesting kind of you can have such a different perspective looking back on your decisions and trying to like question yourself and and kind of think about it and then also look to the future and think about what would I want for my kids and I guess the when and going back to like the when if I'm really assert that with my kids of like they, whenever they say when I have kids I'm always like if if you choose mm-hmm. to have children because I never want them to kind of have this assumption that it's something they absolutely have to do you know not that that will fix it but it's just one little thing of trying to at least acknowledge that there is a choice and they do have agency can I ask Rach when when thinking about like reflecting about the question of when am I going to have children and maybe it's the same um for you girls other girls as well but did you feel that your religion played a part of that and I ask that because I've, I've been reading this this book called A Brief History of Misogyny and it mm-hmm. kind of goes throughout the ages of when the patriarchy was created basically by man and then kind of goes on to like um, Christianity and Judeo-Christianity and how it really kind of hammers <laughs> at home <laughs> for women and like... Um, and I'm just reading it thinking, oh, my God, we never stood a chance. We've never stood a chance for so many millennia now. Like, it's so unfair. Um, but as I'm reading it, I'm getting more and more livid about things that I read about um, Christianity. But it's not just Christianity. There's lots of other religions, too, which don't necessarily uh, promote women. Mm-hmm. And so I was just wondering, like, did that was there, was there part of it from that, uh, your upbringing, like the religious aspect, like, as a as a woman or female child like I mean there was a lot from that but that would you know I feel like I broke away from that quite definitively when I married somebody who wasn't a Christian you know so there was definitely a a trajectory that all of my family had followed till that point which was you know you got married and you married a Christian and you often married young and you had children young and the fact that I didn't marry until I was can't remember my late 20s seemed very old in my family and you know, and don't get me wrong, like, I don't feel like there was a huge amount of judgment from my family about that, but you're aware of other people's choices. And then choosing to marry somebody that wasn't a Christian was a very, at that moment, radical act for me in my situation. And so once I'd done that, I'd broken away from all of it anyway. So it didn't really matter what my choices were in terms of like having children or not having children didn't feel, and it didn't feel like the pressure came from that, if that makes sense, because I'd kind of made a choice to move away from that. So I wouldn't say so, but you might be right that it kind of maybe played a part in the storytelling as a young child about what women's roles were at the, in, in the home. I had a lot of role models of, especially like stay at home mums, you know, a lot of, a lot of that. Yeah, um, I would echo that yeah, I was gonna Rachel, ask in terms of the kind of, uh, the Islamic experience. I think there was a. There's always been a kind of expectation of kind of um, the successful kind of Muslim woman is the one who is married and with has child. And there is a lot of emphasis kind of placed within the faith on the kind of mother as well. But what's also really interesting is, and again, 
you know, I think it becomes more important to me um, when I've had to kind of reimagine is this also really kind of incredible kind of female um, historical characters who were not married and didn't have children within um, kind of Islamic history and faith who were kind of really upheld, like held up high as kind of um, roots of kind of spiritual teaching as well. So there is space to kind of reimagine yourself as a Muslim woman as well without child and kind of, um, but actually those aren't really celebrated stories and they're kind of not really the ones told to you when you're young. So you actually, you know, part of what I've had to do to kind of um, kind of find a kind of path to kind of contentment is to kind of find those stories and kind of see that actually like, the kind of spiritual endeavor is not limited by um, not having children. I think there's also something quite interesting about, um, Marion, just off of your point, because I want to come back to some of the things you said that were super interesting about capitalism as well, but just off mm. of this point around religion, I think there's also a quite an interesting um, reality within different cultural contexts. So for example, mm. within the South Asian um, familial structure, we don't really have as much this very tightly bound nuclear family. You know, everyone is mothering everyone <laughs> for good yeah. or for worse. There's like five different aunts that have an opinion on everything. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's also this understanding of motherhood and mothering that really isn't around who your biological child is. Like I would say with my aunt, for example, my mom's sister, it's just as it's just like having another parent. It's like having another person mothering you. And that's very much also the way that kind of cousins relate to each other and siblings and like whoever's older, you know. So I think there's also some quite nice understandings that go beyond necessarily that that biological child to maternal relationship. So I think that's a really, really interesting points that we've kind of talked about, including there being a big difference between women who um, who choose to have children and can have children, um, those who maybe choose want to have children but can't, and then those women who um, or people who want to have or don't want to have kids, and that being like quite an active choice. And I think there's a difference in how the world receives them. So I'm just wondering if if others have thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I would position myself as a woman who wanted to have children, but can't likely have children um, because of my hostile environment, as the doctors call it. Um, Sounds like something Boris Johnson would say. (laughs) I know, it's like horrific (laughs) language, the language of the patriarchy. Um, So, but actually what's been an important process for me also is although kind of my fertility is affected by the endometriosis, I've also actively chosen not to then pursue other Mm -hmm. uh, means Mm -hmm. of kind of like freezing eggs or like um, IVF and things like that. So, you know, potentially maybe I've got a foot in kind of both of those Mm -hmm. camps because there was a lot of pressure by kind of lots of women around me to think about freezing my eggs just in case I decide to at some point have a child Mm -hmm. um and I felt a lot of that was kind of posited in this idea that of course all women will eventually regret not having children I will want to have a child and and actually I don't think that's necessarily the case Mm -hmm. um and for me Mm -hmm. kind of the journey has been more about kind of being learning how to kind of be 
um, like accepting of like the nature of my body, like the environment of my body mm. and kind of being okay about that. Mm. And I think, I think I probably, when, when you first had your diagnosis, Maram, I think I was probably one of those women who did say to you, oh, maybe you should freeze your eggs. Um, mm. Because I, I, I was, I was thinking, oh my gosh, she just needs to bank some opportunities just in case things come about later or medicine progresses or, um, and that I think those, those conversations obviously really difficult to have and difficult to receive and mm. the pressure you're talking about has been created by people that love you as mm. well as people mm. who are just like noise mm. you know being mm. too noisy at the um water cooler or whatever you know like <laughs> that kind of <laughs> overtly intimate conversations that people expect you to have about your fucking uterus just because you're a woman <laughs> you expect to explain everything to everyone who just happens to ask you <laughs> even just at a bus stop <laughs> um but i think it, it really covers the spectrum of people having those conversations that shouldn't be having those conversations with you and really just like mm. should not be having those conversations but mm. in addition to that there are there are so many conversations that aren't had because people are really concerned about hurting other people's feelings and assuming mm. they might hurt people's feelings and so when when you're looking at the spectrum of of women and where they're at with their decision making women and 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 other and, and men and everyone trying to figure out whether they want to um have a child that they parent in some way mm. um you've got all these different choices and and not choices happening where um there's so much grief and pain and people mm. kind of sidestepping around it but w- which can actually leave people feeling a bit isolated in mm. in 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 their life experiences because no one's asking them for fear of like offending mm. them mm. Yeah, it's but like it's just, tricky, right? Because then the opposite you get, right? With pre, with people like, oh, why aren't you having children? Why yeah. haven't you had children yet? Don't you think you should have yeah. children yet? And you're like, who the fuck are you? Like, yeah. exactly. I think it's the difference Jog between the like on. women's body as public consumption and this idea mm. that Mariam touched on very early on, which is this idea of like the capitalist patriarchy, which is that we all have our kind of place, kind of a la Handmaiden's Tale, right? Like we're mm-hmm. <laughs> taken to the extreme, but we're all mm-hmm. kind of on this journey of um, full realization through 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 motherhood, I guess. Yeah, like product utilization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But actually, as you say, there's so many differing experiences of motherhood, like actually for people who biologically choose to or can have a child or choose to adopt or choose to parent in any way. Even within that, that's not a homogenous group. And then you take people who maybe have chosen to not have children, and that's never talked about as a positive. I don't really feel like I see in in any sort of narrative that we get given. You know, you never see the the Disney film with the the or whatever the the movie where it's like, oh, she, then they just end up being a astronaut and having a great life. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that there's so many differing experiences within all these groups, as you say that. It's difficult to generalize, but then also what I think happens is because we kind of need solidarity in our experiences, we kind of stick together and then suddenly it becomes like, moms say this about their experiences of not ever getting any sleep. And then it's like, there becomes all these stereotypes and it brings us Mm. further apart as opposed Mm. to Mm. smashing the stigma. Mariam, I don't know if you remember, we had a conversation about this, you and me. Do you remember we had this Mm. chat? I do remember. In central Manchester and we like talked about how... I mean, you expressed that to me of like, you know, sometimes you have had this sense of being left out of these experiences because 
um, women who've had children kind of don't then share their experience with other people in different situations. And I remember having a real moment of like, wow, I, th- I think I've done that. I think I've thought, oh, Mariam doesn't want to hear that or Mariam won't want to know about that. Or, and I've, I've sub- sometimes consciously or unconsciously and I remember saying to, like, I remember really consciously thinking this is something that I need to make a change on because I think you feel like you're going to upset people or, um, you know, hurt their feelings or whatever. But actually, I hadn't really understood that it meant that you were missing out on an experience even further. Like even you were, mm. felt like you were missing out even more is how I remember you putting it and that leaving you out. And I kind of, do you remember that conversation? Does yeah, that I res- do remember yeah. that conversation for sure. And I think it was kind of, you know, I guess kind of as you posited, Lucy, like the the kind of the fear, like the assumptions we make because, we, we, you know, we're coming from a place of love and we don't want to further upset anybody or mm. kind of hurt them or, you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to, you know, pick a raw wound either. Um, and, but it's interesting as well because I, on the flip side, there's also, you know, I know at times I haven't spoken to, you know, my friends who have children about some of my experiences around kind of um, my own fertility because mm-hmm. I don't want to feel, make them, I don't want to make them feel bad about ha- being able to have children, you know, mm-hmm. like, and about how they've been able to do it. And, you know, and I know, Lucy, I know we've spoken about kind of how actually initially when I got my diagnosis, like there was a lot of grief there, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of grief and a lot of pain. Um, and I did find it, like, I found it hard. Like I found it hard kind of having conversations with friends who were trying to conceive or who who were pregnant. And actually like there was this kind of bubbling up of like bitterness about it, you know? Cause I was mm-hmm. just like, it feels so unfair. Like it feels really unfair that it's, you know, some people can and some people can't, or it's easy for some and it's easy for not, you know? And there's this kind of real bitterness around it. And like, you know, part of that kind of acknowledging of that kind of, you know, the darker, the darker emotions Mm -hmm. that I can, that, you know, women can carry around their own kind of experiences and kind of, um, you know, it was important for me to kind of, give some space to that and like it's important for me to kind of give some time to the grief and important to me to kind of give some time to the anger mm. um because I actually knew that that's not who I wanted to be either Do you know I mean I didn't mm. want to be this kind of like bitter person who just kind of couldn't sit and share other people's joy mm. around their experiences of motherhood like it felt so unlike me but at that moment that it that was my experience mm. you know and maybe if there were more diverse I'm just thinking about like your experience Mariam and what it sounds like as well was that it was quite a lonely experience at that time and I'm wondering how many people feel lonely in their experiences as you were saying Lucy but like maybe if there was more diverse representation of the different types of women and people we all are and there was more room for it I feel like because of the patriarchal structures we have kind of one main mainish narrative around generally what happens in our lives um for those who like identify as women it's usually that you follow quite that normative trajectory and I think if that there were more stories and there was less stigma around talking about like in a loving way of course it would have to be in a respectful loving way but I just wonder we don't have that many other counter narratives and it's kind of still seen as quite quite 
um, quite different if, you know, there's not that many positive stories as, as we've spoken about before about people choosing not to have kids and what the child-free life could be and mm-hmm. how that's sometimes seen as like a selfish choice, which is crazy as well, you know, mm-hmm. so. And also the flip of like that, there more... aren't enough stories about women who've had children that regret it. You know, yeah, and that I remember that's what there was, I was that BBC say, article kind of, like, oh, you know, yeah. women and I think they were like all anonymous being like, yeah, I regret mm. having kids. And like people don't talk about that enough so that everyone can then peddle this narrative. You'll regret it. You'll regret it if mm. you don't have kids because nobody actually ever ultimately admits mm. how much they've struggled. I mean, people do admit that they struggle parenting. That's I feel like that is a very common subject that is around all the time. But actually saying, I actually wish I hadn't had kids because it stopped me doing X, Y, Z, whatever it might be for them. Mm. There needs to be more of those stories as well. We need a more diverse range of stories to kind of prepare people for what their future could look like to give a more varied view, I think. But sorry, Mary, it feels like the ultimate taboo, doesn't it, Rachel, to say as a, you know, for for a parent to say that actually like, if I had my time again, I wouldn't have Mm. children. And we all know women who who have, like I know, I've heard those stories. Like they are, of course they exist. And of course people feel that because- it's it's not to say you don't want your children but I'm just there is the human complexity of emotions right and like everyone mm. as we say will arrive in that new state of parenthood differently mm. I think something that's also not so so spoken about is like the grief that we feel when like I remember feeling quite a lot of grief when my sister became a parent mm. um and that wasn't because I wasn't happy for her but it was like this loss of that relationship that was going to forever change because she would have less time and she would have um her own family and like all these worries around what would this mean and actually obviously we've navigated that fine and one of the things <laughs> that I think she really enabled for me was to be this kind of mothering role in her children's life mm-hmm. and I think that was kind of the way she helped me transition from what was mm-hmm. was also a moment of like loss you know and I don't think we ever necessarily talk about the loss that happens in relationships when people suddenly move on to a different stage of life if not everyone's at that stage of life Mm. I remember distinctly thinking Lucy I probably didn't express it to you but like when you started to have children um I was like is this gonna change everything forever like are we just gonna Mm. completely diverge because actually your experience is gonna be so different from my experience Mm. and like will we just cease to have anything in common anymore Yeah. yeah exactly you know and kind of fearing that kind of loss of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. You're still there. <laughs> Clung in. <laughs> but I find that interesting, like um, the idea, you know, like well, one, one, there was an article, wasn't there, about the separating out of groups that, you know, people who have kids kind of cling together and then they, and they're leaving out. And I definitely feel like from my experience, I think that, I, you know, I've definitely done some of that, you know, without even necessarily even realizing, but also for me, how important it is to also maintain those relationships, because who am I outside of this role? Otherwise, if I, I could so easily get entirely consumed by this role and taken away mm. with it that I, there is nothing left so having mm. people that are ex- outside of that experience maybe made different choices or even our parents but in very different ways is so important to me to kind of keep that breadth not just for me mm. but also for my kids and my family you know I think that's so mm. important mm. it makes me think about your point earlier Rachel about the kind of um when you were talking about wanting you know the questioning of what ex- what role model are you for your kids Mm -hmm. um and how like it's hard to be like you know 
the so-called radical role model and also be the kind of mother role model, which, you know, we've already kind of discussed and, you know, it's not as binary as that, but it makes me think about actually this idea of kind of the various forms of mothering and pre you've touched on it quite a few times, right? You know, kind of the kind of the sisters, the aunties, the friends of, and kind of all the different ways in which all of these different um, roles can also be kind of facilitated into a kind of mothering and actually how, you know, if we, if we create these kind of communities around ourselves, we then have all of these different role models Mm. for the children, right? Like Mm. we have the auntie who never got married um, and is kind of having wild adventures, but is still mothering, you know, Mm. Um, nephews and nieces. We have, you know, we kind of, we can, we can have all of this. So the kind of children get to see that kind of mothering can coexist with so many different manifestations of life as well. Mm. But I think that has to, that really comes back again to your point around capitalism, I think, Marion, because Mm. I think it's so at odds with the, the society we live in. So it really requires a cultural currency in wanting to raise other human beings and wanting to have, uh, value attributed to this idea of nurturing or mothering and I think unfortunately and I, I really liked Lucy how you opened it this idea of like is it just the feminine powers that are associated with mothering or how do we like what what I think you're describing Marami is like a radical system change which is how can we become a more nurturing society that mm. that enables everyone to kind of care more deeply and to put more value in caring work mm. I think if you look at a society like the US where you you can't even get proper maternity leave, right, or paternity leave, and then you compare it, but at the same time, paradoxically, there's a huge value placed on family, right? It's like an underpinning of American society, like you have to breed, which ties in with the capitalist um, breeding machine. And then if you look at more, more socialist, and I say that in quotation marks, countries like Denmark or um, or Canada or Sweden where they have more of a um, paternity and maternity given there's a real kind of shift in prioritizing family and what what it takes to be a functioning family that's operating as well as it can do in a society that's fundamentally capitalist right so trying to enable a more equal share of the parenting so that's what some of the governments are doing. But as you've discussed, Breed, not everyone takes it up. Like in, you were saying before, like in, in Denmark, many men don't take up the very generous paternity leave that they have. And when looking at studies, there's a study done about um, um, gay couples who have children and looking at the the split of the caring load between two men to see how that how it worked out, what happened, who did what. And it was always the primary, the carer, whoever decide, whoever ended up spending more time with the kid initially was the one that would always shoulder the burden of the caring throughout that child's life. Mm-hmm. Which I found really interesting because it meant like it, that's taking that's taking away from the, the feminine aspect of that caring role. And it has to be the mother because the mother has to be the one that's given the breast milk, blah, blah, blah. But it does mean it's whoever's spending the most time with the kid. And then that's forever. Yeah. And that's... So, so, so something about how do we create, like, how do we allow everyone to kind of access their innate mother, right? And like, right. and actually, that's about creating time and, I guess, ring fencing time, Space. so people can yeah. do that, right? Well, it's, um, like the, it's like the seatbelt legislation. I don't think you'll 
get it without forcing it. And that's also what all the studies show about Sweden is where it's worked is because they've been offered a um, a subsidy to take up that leave for yeah. the other partner. But I think what you're saying is kind of interesting as well, because when I think of Scandinavian societies, I think the welfare state is so well functioning. But I think this idea of like intergenerational mothering doesn't really exist. It's very nuclear family bound. So mm. I also think there's some interesting lessons to be learned from like, again, I can only kind of talk about the South Asian experience I've had, which seems to be much more like, because there's no functioning welfare state, it's not outsourced. <laughs> mm. It's like really done in a community way that I think sometimes mm. can be missing here. Like we don't have that kind of care that, of community. Yeah. It's more like the state provides. So I think there's different aspects from all these different yeah. regions and cultures that you can, you need a strong welfare state for sure. But you also, I think, need to kind of widen this idea of what a family looks like or how how a community cares but the nuclear Mm. family that we have in say um say britain which is what i'm most familiar with um which is similar to denmark with the the parents and the child living in one family in one household that's quite a modern phenomenon that's like that came about in the 20th century and prior to that you had much bigger families with with people living in you know random members of your family cousins aunties uncles Mm -hmm grandmas all living together and raising a child so that's happened i don't necessarily think it's like um like a a cultural thing as you say like that's happened before and and we've moved away from it and i don't know if it has happened at the same time as the welfare state's been introduced in yeah in in britain or or what but like but i think it's been that in our past (laughs) so no 100 yeah but I think the migrant experience is still very live, right? Like we have grandmothers living with like, do you know what I mean? Mm. That kind of sense of like people come and live with you for months on time. That is, that is, I guess, a phenomenon of that mothering. There's a lot of women about <laughs> generally in these kind of homes that are more transient, mm. I guess. But I mm. 100% agree with you. I don't think it's because we can't go back to that sense. I just think there are different things that work well, I guess, mm. across the different cultures. Um, mm. And just like, and you know, in every culture, I'm sure you'll find some really nice, some really nice qualities as well of how care is distributed. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, as you say, Pri and kind of Rachel thinking on your point as well. Like if if we continue with this model um, that kind of posits the 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 mothering within the kind of um, within this kind of gendered idea, um, even to kind of the exclusion of the kind of the kind of the man what does that then mean for kind of women do you know what I mean like do they then you know like if it's solely kind of resting in on them is there a way like is there a way back from that do you know what I mean like um is there a way to create an identity um of kind of your womanhood outside of just this I know plenty of conversations um that I've been privy to of women also saying that like they feel they've lost themselves in mother, you know, and they haven't been able to kind of find their way back to their other parts of their identity because they've they've not had they've not had the space or the opportunity or the support um to do that, mm-hmm. you know sometimes the feeling that like to exert anything outside of the role of mother sometimes feels and I would say parent but you know it does feel like it relates to the subject that we're talking about today but 
sometimes feels so impossible. Like the consumption of a role like that can just, I think it can consume you. And I think it's like you say, Lou, the, the, I think the move over to the nuclear family focus has also been really detrimental to that, you know, because women have felt really isolated in that role, mm. like we have to live up to some kind of super mum role and do everything and be everything. And that role's super consuming. And they're to like exert any energy to like come onto this podcast and be with you and to use a different part of my brain, which feels so minuscule right now, is feels like I'm exerting the absolute like last percent that's left of me. And there's hardly any of it there. Um, but I think you're right, Mariam. I think there's there needs to be a sense of sharing that out more because there is there is so much of that to kind of... I th- I th- and I think that's what you're saying and I don't know maybe mm. I'm misinterpreting what you're saying but I I feel like there could be there is so much value to sharing out that role in different ways yeah. with different people and not feeling like I have to take all of it on you know and mm-hmm. um and be consumed by it no absolutely and, and Rach that's that's like you who who has a, who had a partner who took paternity leave and you know who have you know you have a very uh equal approach to parenting mm. and um and you're still feeling like that like it's quite mm. it's quite significant yeah yeah I'm trying to think about as well I feel like we haven't really touched maybe about people who choose not to have parents because I think we've talked a lot about even though obviously we've gone around lots of different themes I think we've still mm. mainly come kind of back to this in a way it's interesting isn't it because I feel like even though we're trying to get away from this quite binary view of what parenting is we our conversations still are quite centered around the different roles within the constructs that we're given but what about this idea that people choose not to have children and what that looks like and what about if you know if we're talking as well about this collective care there also has to be room for that not to be i don't know it's somehow there's something people to opt out yeah not want to be a a burden to other people definitely Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, I'm definitely. just I'm being and curious, I, not because I know the answers to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have that. Um, it's yet to be seen how many friends of mine choose not to have kids, right? Because we're still extremely young. Um, but I feel like, and maybe this is from my perspective as 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 being a mum. But I feel like I'm reading more and more about people who choose not to have kids. Like I feel like more and more celebrities come out and say they they chose not to have kids. You know. Oprah Winfrey, Cameron Diaz. Um, this is like celebrities coming out and owning it and being like, yeah, it's fantastic choice, great, greatest thing I've ever done. And I feel like there's more there's more editorials and opinion pieces and And, and also the whole movement of birth strikers. People, yeah, birth strikers too. And yeah, and definitely. um and like, cho- like you know, choosing not to do so they can uh very sensibly like save the planet from what we're doing to it and Mm. and i feel like there's more more women in the media talking about that which i think is which is an amazing thing but i think it's it's one thing for it to be kind of in the in whatever in magazines and instagram and another thing like in individual circles i think that's that's a harder place yeah. to like maybe to come out and be like I don't want that and I say that as a for a woman to come out and say that I think a man is <laughs> just never fucking asked when he's gonna have kids <laughs> just don't I think, think it's also very question. tied 
Um, and I think one of the other interesting points is how heterocentered this whole conversation around parenthood and mothering is. It tends to be around, uh, you know, women who tend to be heterosexual, like when they're ready to have kids, when their sell-by date is gone, all these kind of awful understandings of what um, women's bodies are allowed to be spoken about. But I think it also makes invisible a lot of other groups where we don't really hear about uh, the stories necessarily of other um, other people who may not identify as heterosexual, like how do they uh, imagine, coming back to your kind of initial point, Mariam, around this reimagining of mm. mothering, or let's call it parenting, or let's call it nurturing. Um, mm. It's a very heterosexually, heteronormative, sorry, heteronormative centered conversation, mm. yeah. um, which just like reproduces more and more norms, I think. Yeah, and I wonder as well about how, in that, you know, kind of to the point we kind of said earlier about the kind of the fact that when they're not having conversations, which are leaving people more isolated, like what is what what happens across across that across that separation as well, right? Like mm-hmm. what you know, with our you know, with our friends, with our queer friends, do we ever approach a conversation around children or not children? You know, or, or is everybody just as, making assumptions and therefore kind of everybody's kind of left kind of within their own kind of silos of kind of isolation you know and it reminds me of the unmothering article that you sent around Mariam as well just about that whole conversation she you know very much talks in there about like wanting to you know have an overt conversation about not having children and that being like an example to her to the generations that follow even though she doesn't you know I think there is that thing of like opening up those conversations and exposing each other all to all the different aspects, all the nuances to these decisions that we definitely hide away. And like you say, Priya, I think kind of hide and then only have within certain contexts, like the heteronormative context, as opposed to opening that more up. I think it's really true. Yeah, Rachel, I think what you said about sharing stories is kind of the purpose of our podcast today is to kind of unpack the multifaceted term of of mothering and how it resonates with us what we think about it or don't think about it um and the emotional reactions that we've had today um and the importance of sharing our very different and individual experiences with each other but also in the hope that other people will also share their own experiences too because if we if we don't ask the questions of our friends and our peers and our loved ones um and make assumptions based on on what we think they may feel or think about things and we're never really gonna unpack those spaces and bring about those experiences that people are going through maybe in possibly isolated ways Mm. um yeah so let's hope that other people may listen to this and and ask their um friends and colleagues and loved ones about about this topic get Mm. that conversation Mm. started We have been four friends. Thanks for listening. This is a conversation starter and a collective project. We will be continuing these conversations off air and we hope to inspire you to do the same. Please subscribe, like, share and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 4friendspod.